It is a pleasure just to be with you today, and I had the privilege of succeeding Randy Hurst. Randy is just a dear friend and a blessing, and it's hard to follow in his footsteps. I know I never can, but, and he's spoken of your pastor so much, and your pastor has blessed AG World Missions for years and years, and we are so thankful even then. I am not the musical person. My, I have three beautiful daughters. I mean, I'm, a, I'm one of the founding members of the Fathers of Female Support Group. I just want you to know that. A wife, three girls, even our dog is female. Sometimes you come home, open the door, and just estrogen just oozes out. I mean, you have no idea. And I, <clears throat> even after all these years, I, I'm still clueless about women sometimes. Why are they crying? I don't get it. Why? Why? I don't understand that. And so, but my girls are musical. I can barely play the radio. So it is so good to have somebody like your pastor who's been a blessing to missions. And I am so excited to hear the, what they've come up with even this year because they've been working away. And it is a blessing. So thanks so much for the opportunity to share. My wife, unfortunately, is not here today. She sends her, greeting, her greetings. And so my, they're actually traveling right now with our three girls. I have a 22-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old. They all love the Lord. They're all passionate about serving God wherever they are. Our oldest has finished Evangel. She's a school teacher. Her heart and her mission field is the schools. She loves Title I schools. She's a magnet for those little kids. My middle daughter, Natalie, just graduated from high school, is going to the University of Tulsa. She is going to be studying voice there and Russian studies, and somehow I think she's going to end up in the Middle East in missions. And our youngest 16, Lauren, is, she is so smart. I say she will be the first female general superintendent of the Sons of God. So that girl can preach already. She has a heart for the Lord. She is so smart. And I'm just proud of all of our girls. My wife is an ordained minister. She loves ministry to women in every way. I think God has changed all of us in this whole process. I'm going to share a little quote that I love from one of my favorite men of literature, and that's Gandalf and Bilbo Baggins. So, <clears throat> Gandalf one time talked to Bilbo. He said, I'm, I'm looking, looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. Bilbo Baggins replies, I should think so in these parts. We are plain, quiet folks and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anyone sees in them. Gandalf replied, you'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back. Bilbo said, you can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you'll not be the same. And I've thought of those words because that's really a great description of following Jesus Christ. And there's an adventure that God calls us to, and it's a dangerous adventure. And if we do come back, we'll never be the same. I am just an ordinary kid. I'm, you know, there's some people, they use these acronyms around. They toss them out, a PK, which is a pastor's kid, or an MK, a missionary kid. So my girls are always called that. You're an MK, a missionary kid. Well, I'm a CK, that's a carpenter's kid. You know, I grew up pounding nails. That's all I ever did. I, you know, I was young. I think probably my first toys were a hammer and a saw, and I would pound those things around. And I never had any dream ever to go into ministry in any form or fashion. I just wanted to get a dog, move to the Yukon. I mean, that's all I wanted to do. And God kind of interrupts your lives. and It's always interesting the path that we follow. So I found myself going to a Bible college in Minneapolis. What in the world is this? And God speaks to me and leads and directs me into ministry. And we're pastoring. And then we started growing in that. And we loved pastoring. We loved people. And we were in Montana, and you have the mountains and the outdoors and fishing and hunting. And the whole thing is just a great thing. And then God began to speak to us about missions. And I, I resist those things sometimes. And I, I really did. And I, God, is this really you? And I, it started us on a journey. Really, we began to pray and pray and pray. 
It maybe was six months. I can't remember. Four months, six months. It was a long process. And I remember, well, first of all, my wife knew ahead of time. She knew we were called in the missions. And I just said, don't talk to me. I've got to hear from God myself. And I was praying. And I came over one day. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And came over to the church early in the morning. It was about 6 o'clock. And I was in the front just pacing back and forth. God, I really need to hear from you. Is this really you calling us into missions or is this the bad pepperoni pizza from the night before type experience? And as I was praying, I had my Bible open, which I do a lot and when I'm praying. And I was reading scriptures out loud. And I read that passage where people give Jesus excuses. You know those ones. Lord, I just got some new oxen. I can't follow you yet. Another excuse was, my father just died. Let me go back and bury him. Anybody remember what it said after that? What did Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. And I felt like God spoke to my heart right then. Andy, you're making excuses. So I hung my head and I said, okay, God. Called my parents a couple hours later and talked to my dad. Dad, I'm feeling like maybe God is calling us in missions. The very first words out of my dad's mouth were, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? I am not exaggerating that. I went, uh, let's see, where was that verse? I think I just read that. Okay, God, I guess I can't turn back now. And so we begin to, I thought, okay, we know. God, call us. Where are you going to call us? We had never even heard of the nation Moldova, first of all. Most people haven't. They have, well, where in the world is Moldova? I've had people say, is that from Princess Bride or Princess Diaries? And I said, no, that is Genovia, and that is a fake country. Okay, this is not that country. We asked questions about everywhere in Eastern Europe, from Russia, Albania, and when they said Moldova, my wife knew immediately that's going to be it. But once again, I'm the stubborn one. And I said, God, I, I have got to know, where are you calling us? September 19th, 2001, I woke up in the middle of the night. It wasn't God at the first experience. It was my two-year-old Natalie at that point. And so Natalie's standing next to the bed. If you're a parent and know little kids, you'll know exactly that experience when you're in bed, deep in sleep. I was still at the stage of life of perpetual exhaustion. You know, three little kids, you're always tired. And all of a sudden, there's a face six inches from you. You wake up and you see this face here. And I pulled her into bed, and of all of our three daughters, she's the one who does gymnastics in the middle of the night, you know, jumping jacks and everything. And so I knew I am not going to sleep. I am so exhausted. I went and did what any smart dad would do. I moved to the couch. So I got up, walked up to the couch, and I was laying on the couch, and I had a dream and a picture of myself standing before a group of people like this. Couldn't see anybody's faces, but I heard myself say, we are so excited to be your missionaries to Moldova. And I stopped and went, Moldova? Just like that. And the voice coming back to me was, Moldova, 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 Moldova. And God and I had this little conversation back and forth until I said, okay, God, Moldova. And I went in and woke Nancy up at 3.45 in the morning and said, hey, the only place we need to go is Moldova. And she just looked at me and said, oh, I could have told you that six weeks ago. Rolled back over and went back to sleep. She already knew we were supposed to go to Moldova. So we went. We landed there, and it was different. I had to learn Russian. Nancy learned Romanian. It's one of the poorest countries in all of Europe. It has the highest alcohol consumption of, the, of any nation in the world. At one time, Time, Ma time Magazine had listed Moldova as the unhappiest country in the world. I thought that'd make a great t-shirt. Too much joy, too much happiness. Come to Moldova. We will suck you dry. I mean, <laughs> that is really it. But we grew to love it, and I love Moldova. I really do. I love Moldova. The, that my my friends are there. I love the culture. I love the people. I mean, not everything. I don't like every little aspect. I'm not a big fan of squatty potties, you know, but I'm used to them. And we have potholes in the road big enough to do water baptisms in. I mean, it's, it is life. But God called us there. And we were ready to head back again. And we got a call from our leadership and said, we really need somebody to serve in 
Russia as area directors. And oh, I went, no, no. And we were just ready to move back. And Nancy and I talked to our leaders and we visited and we, we came back. And I said, I need two weeks to pray about it. Now, I'm just going to tell you, in Christianity, sometimes we say, give me two weeks to pray about it. What, what is that truly? Oftentimes, we already know the answer, and that's our delay technique. Okay, let me, God, you know, I'm going to delay this. Maybe I can get t- talked out of it. But I knew. Now, there's people who have this theology, never say you will never do something for God, because then he's going to ask you to do that. As if God is up there going, oh, ne-. people will say this, oh, don't say I'll never go to Africa, because then God's going to send you to Africa because he wants you miserable. As if God wants to make us miserable. It's not that. It's that he stretches us out of our comfort zone. See, God cares more about your personal growth than your comfort. And he stretches us. And I, so I, told, I stalled for two weeks, and then we said yes. And never, I've never loved a place better than Russia. Man, we lived in St. Petersburg. We loved Russia. I prayed. We needed missionaries in Russia. I mean, Russia is 11 time zones wide. We had one missionary per time zone, really. And I'm still praying for Russia. I asked at that time, Lord, help us to get Russia on the map. Well, soon after that, we got Russia on the map every day, every night. Everybody knows about Russia now, usually in the negative way, but at least it gives you a good reason to pray for Russia. And so we were in the middle of Siberia, and I was with a group of pastors, and I love Siberia. I know some people think, oh, you're going to be punished, and we're going to send you to Siberia. No, I love Siberia. I was with the reindeer people of the Arctic Circle. It was a beautiful warm day, only minus 10. But man, we, I love that kind of adventure. And I got a call asking me to, if I would consider coming back and serving as a communication director. And every one of those steps is a stretch. It is almost like that first words. We are stepping out onto the road, and we have no idea where God is going to lead us. God has called us to the adventure of following him. And he walked by Peter and Andrew, and he walked by the apostles and John, and he said, hey, come follow me. And they left their nets, and they followed him. And I think God is still calling the same group of people that's staring here today, and he's still talking to this world, and he says, come follow me. And I want to encourage you just to open your hearts to say, Lord, what are you calling me to? Now, this is a mission service. I mean, I, we know I'm preaching about missions. I want you to be engaged in missions. I, want, I pray that people are called out of this church to go into missions. I really do. But overall, we, I'm just saying, have the spirit to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? If it's, if it's in the choir, <laughs> step out. If it's going to help out with children or youth or being involved as an usher, serving your community, I don't care. Right now, I'm just saying, open your heart and say, Lord, I will do what you call me to do. Jesus said those great words in Acts. He says, I'll pour out my spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And I am always passionate about the uttermost parts of the earth. All four of those the church has to be engaged in. Jerusalem, that's your nearby town. And that is very difficult. It's hard to talk to our neighbors sometimes. It's hard to talk to family members. That is sometimes the hardest area to go. We... Even Jesus didn't have a lot of success. Remember, his hometown rejected him. So there's challenges to being a witness in Jerusalem. Judea, well, sometimes that's so close, we drive right by it. 
We're on our way to Honduras and we drive by the next town. We, you know, we're looking beyond that all the time and we forget. God has called us to reach the Judeas right near us to be a church that plants churches. I love your stories of how many different languages that are already going on here right now. Those communities are right next door and we bring them in. Samaria. Wow, Samaria, that's with the racial, the prejudice, the bad history and bad blood. It takes energy to do that. I'm amazed sometimes that the prejudices that are around the world, and it's not just a black-white. I've been in every different country. Russians can be prejudiced toward Kyrgyzstanis, and I can be in Germany, and they're prejudiced toward Turks, and every different place. I get tribes that are prejudiced against tribes. They can be the same color skin. Prejudice. But Jesus said Samaria, that was the people that they didn't like. There was bad blood. There was a history that was there. But God has called us as a church to break down those things, right? We're called to go and be a witness there. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's really what I'm talking about today. God is calling people to the uttermost parts of the earth. As a church, you have a responsibility to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Why it takes a little more energy, it's like the illustration that I use. If you want to go to Dallas, it takes a just fill your car up with gas. You know, maybe it takes three, four, five gallons. I don't know how fuel efficient your car is. But if you're going to push a rocket into outer space, it takes a huge payload of fuel. I mean, they measured in tons to break the gravitational pull. It doesn't take much energy for you to get out of your pew, walk across the street, visit with a neighbor, and talk to them about Jesus. But to get somebody to Laos, to learn the language, to build it, it takes so much fuel. And that's why, as a church, I want to make you passionate about missions. I'm a fan of C.S. Lewis, and I, I love Chronicles of Narnia. I probably read it every year, and there's a phrase in one of the books that says, Aslan is on the move. And I love that phrase. Aslan is C.S. Lewis' symbol of Christ. You can't miss it when you read the stories. There's a quote. It says, now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment those words were spoken, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand. But in the dream, it feels as if it had some enormous meaning. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump on his inside. And I just want to encourage you, in the name of Jesus Christ, something should jump on the inside. I love that song that we we ended it, that third song, about the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. There's a world out there that does not know the name of Jesus. That should break our hearts. That should stir us. Acts 2, which we love if you're in a Pentecostal church. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And I love that last little phrase, and signs on the earth below. The other place in the Bible, it talks about how you will see miracles beyond anything. We can't even include them on the pages here. The miracles that happened. And God is doing such amazing things. It was about a year and a half ago now, probably a year ago in March, I found myself in the nation of Iran. I had went to visit. In fact, I have, there's some magazines back in the foyer and around some tables. It's a worldview magazine. It's one of the resources we produce. There's a great issue on Iran. Please grab them, read them afterwards, pass them on. Just get some of the stories here. Amazing stories of what God is doing. 
Well, I was in Iran, and I actually, I, I know these pictures, and I looked at them because I took them all, and I know that guy, and I know his story, and I talked to him and visited. Every one of them, they all have names and stories. But I, I walked into Iran with a little bit of anxiety, okay? In most places, I'll go in any crazy country. I'll do all kinds of, I'll go to the highest mountains or the hot jungles. I'll do whatever it takes. But Iran was a little different. You know, you're going in here, you have a, I have no idea what to do. We had to go in on a, on a tourist thing. We were going in and visiting, shooting pictures. I got on the airplane in Istanbul, and we were flying into Shiraz, Iran, and sat next to an Iranian man from lives in Canada. He's talking, oh, you're coming to Iran. Thanks so much. Here's what you have to eat. You have to try this food. You have to try this food. And he's giving me all these stories. And, you know, my apprehension was kind of easing down a little bit. I got landed in Shiraz and got off and got on the bus to take you up to the terminal. And a little Iranian woman who couldn't speak English, but she talked to this Canadian guy who could translate for me. Where are you from? America. Thanks so much for coming to Iran. If you were coming to my neighborhood I would, or my town, I would invite you over for dinner. We'd love to have it. And I want to tell you, I have never yet been in a friendlier nation to Americans than Iran. Now that kind of shakes your mindset because you read the news and all this. But I, I want to encourage you, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. I want to, here's my challenge. Never let the news media drive your interpretation of the Great Commission. Okay? Your, your pastor quoted it. He said, he talks about John 3.16, for God so loved the what? The world. God loves Iranians. God loves Russians. God loves North Koreans. And God is at work in all of these places. And let's just get on board. In fact, the fastest growing church, Iran, that just shakes me up. We don't have any missionaries inside, but we have missionaries located around. So what happens is Iranians come outside the country on vacation. And they'll go visit. And one, one of the team members there it's at the holiday, they always go out and do street ministry, saying they can see the Iranians, they talk to them, and over and over again, they just are amazed at that gospel. And they're, they're doing discipleship via texting and all kinds of stuff within, within the nation. But one of the team members, he fell sick one day and was very frustrated. He just didn't know what to do. And he was kind of complaining to God. Occasionally, we all complain to God. And he goes, why am I sick? I have to stay in my apartment. The doctors even want me to go out. And I can't go out because I've been ill for so long. And he was complaining because the rest of the team was out sharing Christ in the, in the neighborhood and in the parks there where the Iranians were vacationing. Well, God spoke to me. He said, why don't you just walk outside? Well, I guess I could do that. So he got out of his bed or off the couch and walked down the few flights of stairs out of his apartment building and sat on the park bench right outside the door of his apartment. And he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, he hadn't sat there just for a, a minute, and a man walks up to him, an Iranian man, and he looks at him and says, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah, I am a follower of Jesus. Good. I knew I was supposed to come here today and somebody would tell me about God. Within minutes, he shared the whole gospel message, talked to him about Jesus, how his sacrifice for him, and how the, the path of salvation. And on that bench that day, that man accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Over and over and over and over again. God is at work around the world. And so we look at all these terrible things. Oh, what's going to happen in Iran? I want to tell you, God is at work in Iran. And it should move our hearts to say nothing is so impossible. There are no places that are impossible. God can do it. And God is working through that. God wants to touch our eyes 
to see the world as he sees it. I read those passages, you know, where Jesus reached in, spit in the mud, rubbed it on our eyes, you know, and that blind man could see. I think so often it's the same kind of thing in the church. Can I just encourage you? Lord, touch my eyes. Make that your prayer. Make that your prayer. Lord, touch my eyes, touch my ears, touch my nose. <laughs> well, I pastored many years ago. We had a Korean church that was in there. And if, you, if you're a Korean, you'll know they make a wonderful dish called kimchi. Anybody know what kimchi is? Yeah, it's kind of like rotten cabbage. I love it. It's great. But this is not your pungent order. Don't bring this on the airplane when you're traveling, you know, in a tight, confined space. But I love it. You know, I'm just saying, you've got to just get used to it. Hey, if you're Lord, I don't care. I'm going to sit with the kimchi. You know, I'm a northerner. I don't like the sweat. I was just in Equatorial Guinea. I'm telling you, they dance so hard in that worship service. They dance for the offering. They do everything. And you dance in 100 degrees, you're just sweating and sweating and sweating. And it was relatively pungent church service. But... I just said, who cares? Let's just worship the Lord. You know, I can't dance at all. You know, I, but I, you know, at least I can bobble a little bit. You know, that's about it. But it doesn't matter. Lord, touch my eyes. Let me see this world as you see it. People are loved by God. The Somalis, the Muslims, the Buddhists, they are loved by God. And I just want to encourage you, and I'll repeat it again, never let the news media de- redefine the Great Commission to you, okay? The second story I'll share is out of Vienna, and this is really when we were dealing with some of the refugees. If you remember the news, the refugees were pouring into Europe. There was, they were coming out of the Middle East, and there was one man that I met in Vienna, and he told me a story. His name is Michael, and Michael is out of a Middle East country, and he, he, he made a very interesting phrase. He says, I had a hunger for God, but the only God I knew was Allah. That's the only one I ever heard of. So I became a devout Muslim. And that actually kind of stirs me when I think of that no other name, about the name of Jesus. There is a world out there that has never even heard the name of Jesus. They don't, ha- they don't know any other God other than Allah or other than Buddha or other than some Hindu demonic God that's in a temple. Michael said, the only one I knew was Allah, so I began to follow. I was a devout Muslim. I followed all the practices, went to the training. In fact, I even did my pilgrimage it was on my pilgrimage to Mecca that I heard, uh, uh, not too far from me, corporal punishment. There were some thieves, their hands were being chopped off. And it was the cries and the tears, don't do it, you know, and the screams. And something snapped on the inside. And he said, this is Islam? And became disillusioned. Now, this is a little side parenthesis. You know, all the tragedies, we see all this violence, the Islamic terrorism. It has created a greater disillusionment among so many Muslims because they said, that is my faith makes them hungry for God. So what the enemy means for evil, God is able to flip that around and work in the hearts of people. Amen? In fact, we've had missionary after missionary say, boy, that refugee thing, that was the best thing we've ever had. They poured into Europe. We couldn't get into Syria, but God brought them right to our front door. Then we can talk about Jesus Christ. We know of at least 20,000 Muslims that have come to Christ within the last year and a half out of those nations. Just the ones that are touched with our our world missions personnel. Just those. 20,000 have come to Christ. I'll go back to Michael's story. So Michael got disillusioned. He came back home to his country. He got it later. He got a degree, well, wanted to study, and he got an opportunity and a visa to go to London to study. He's studying business there, and he, re- he says, I remember a time I was at the bus station. I was walking home, and a, a little British girl walks up to me and says, hey, I wanna, can I talk to you about how Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life? And he looked at her and said, 
I am a Muslim, turned his back and walked away. Now I'm going to fast forward again. He had to leave. He was one of those refugees that fled the nations. And he was fleeing his nation, got on a rubber raft, got across the Mediterranean, worked his way into Europe. First day he was in Vienna. He's down in the subway station down below. And an Egyptian woman walks up to him and says, hello, where are you from? Uh, and he said, which country he was from in the Middle East? She says, oh, wonderful. We have a whole group of people like you at our church. Why don't you come with me tomorrow? And he said, okay. So the next day they arranged what time to meet. She came and met him in the morning and brought him back to the thing. And he heard the gospel for the very first time. Now, you have to imagine this. I know we so often take this for granted. You think of this worship. Great worship here. I mean, I just love your worship. Can you imagine if it's your first time you've ever come into a church? The first time, you're going, what in the world is going on here? I, the life, the passion. And it just blew him away. He heard the gospel preached, and that day he ran to the altar. Because while he was standing there, he remembered, he, he had like flashbacks. He says, I remembered standing in, in Mecca, being disillusioned with my faith. I remember, all of a sudden I remembered that, that little British girl walk up to me and say, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And it all came together. And that day he ran to the altar. And I just want you to know, none of us is building the kingdom of God by ourselves, but we all have one little piece. Amen? It took, took an Egyptian woman who said, hey, why don't you come with me to church? It took a British girl who just put, planted the seed right in there. And it probably took people just like you and me who were praying for those nations that somehow God would bring a revival within the Middle East. Now, all of us have a part. All of us have a part. We cannot change a life. Only Jesus can. And he is drawing this world to himself. People are hungry for it. We look at all the challenges and all the naysaying and all the, all the disastrous things that are out there. But people are hungry for truth. They are hungry for the answer. And that is all in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the answer. I was in Brazil. Randy had asked me to go down a few years ago, and I was up in the rainforest, really right on the edge of Brazil, way up in the middle of nowhere, and you can't even get any farther. And there's all these tribes we're not even allowed access to, and we were talking about this missionary. How are we ever even going to meet anybody? These tribes come out. We don't know what we're doing, and I'm at this place, and all of a sudden, here comes a guy walking up the road. It's not your typical thing. You don't see this in Fort Worth a lot. He had tattoos everywhere and porcupine kills, quills coming out of his cheeks. Okay, that was, that was the picture that I had. Okay, this is different. Is that one of them? Oh, yeah, it is. And he took us down, and there's a whole group of these guys coming there, and they all came out of the jungle. They had to put on clothes to come out of the jungle. I mean, they, they really, this is way back, the, the tribes back in that area, Indian tribes. We had found later that this group that we were with just had a battle with another tribe about two weeks ago and 20 of them had died. I mean, this is what we're coming out of. This is violence and this is their life. And the guy is listening to a tape of the Bible in another language. It was Portuguese, but he, and then they had translated into another dialect and he knew a little bit about it. And that man looked at me and he said, why isn't there one of these in my language? Wow. My heart just sunk when I heard that. I thought, Lord, He's never even had a Bible in his language. I don't know how many Bibles I've sitting around. The word of God, the name of Jesus Christ is preached. And he had never once even heard anything. And there is nothing yet, even in his language. Lord, help us. We have got to reach the lost. Uh, I'm going to share one last story here. I have, I have countless stories, but Maria is a wonderful woman. I, loved, I love sitting with her. Maria was a widow 
or she still is a widow with four kids. And she's in Kenya. And a number of years ago, she went and heard, she got radically saved. I mean, she didn't have anything, but a church just loved her into the kingdom of God. And she was a part of this church. And she loved the church. And one time she went to this little missions thing. And she, somebody had said, oh, there's a missions convention or missions services over here. And she went there. And she didn't realize that there was a registration for it. So the first day she went, she said, oh, I didn't realize there was a registration. Can you give me, can I come back tomorrow? Yeah, you can come back tomorrow. And so she went and borrowed some money from her friends and came back tomorrow. And what it was was like a class. It was a registration. And they were training people to be missionaries. And so there was resources that they were giving them. And that's what the money was for. So she sat in this. And the preacher shared this illustration. She says, I remember this. The preacher shared about this illustration of a little African hut. And there was a vulture on top of it. A, one of those big buzzards and a little baby was crawling out and he said that are the unreached tribes of Kenya and above that that buzzard is the devil unless somebody comes and saves those that little baby that bird of prey is going to swoop down and kill it well Maria's heart just she just started crying and God just spoke to her it was this visual thing of her being a mom and all these three kids and she just cried and cried and cried and she knew God was speaking to her to go among one of those unreached places. The only one she knew was the Rendili people. Now, the Rendili people is a tribe in the far north part of Kenya. It is so dry there. It is just, well, I was shooting photography up there, and it is hard when it's just brown, brown, brown. I mean, it is just sand. You look for anything with color to get in there. I got some great pictures, but it was a lot of work. And we were there visiting with her. But years ago, there was no Rendili Christians. So she said, I want to go. She went to her pastor, and the pastor looked at her and said, uh, you're not a pastor, you're a mom with four kids. No, the answer is no. Just broke her heart. Now, I'm going to just tell you, you will oftentimes get the, get the answer that is not what you want to hear, okay? You'll hear a no from people. They will always tell you why you cannot do it. So just because somebody says no it does not mean it's from God. It's just you have to keep pressing on. So she waited. She wanted to be respectful of her pastor and waited and waited. The burden never left. She said, oh, what am I going to do? Pastor, she went back again a year later. She said, Pastor, can I? no, not yet. You are not trained. You're not a pastor. You have no evangelism training. So she went, and she had a small group that was her meeting. It was the next year, a missions convention at her church, and she shared the burden with these, young, these women that were in her small group. She said, I don't know. I would go if I could, but I just don't know. I don't even have any money to go. And one lady says, I will give you a small amount of shillings. Okay, I'll do it. If you can come up with it, I will go. I will go to the Rendili people. The next week came down, the lady only had half of it, just enough for some new shoes and a bag of potatoes. That's pretty much all the money she had. So Maria went to her pastor and said, I have money, can I go? And the pastor said, yes, Maria, you've knocked on the door too many times. Okay, you know, that persistent widow, go, go, and I pray a blessing on you. So Maria did. She got one pair of shoes for herself because she didn't have any shoes. Bought a, another bag of groceries to leave with her children. Took a bag of potatoes and went out to the north side of town. The road north is about 20 hours of raw, rough gravel bumps. She waited for a cattle truck to go by. Think of this. Hitched a ride, sat on top of the bars, and sat on top of this truck for 20 hours driving north. Next time your shocks go out and you hit a, you know, a pothole in the road and you complain about it, just remember Maria. 40 years old, probably, a woman sitting on top of there in this pole. She got to a one village, 
where she knew she wanted to get off. It was the middle of the night. She got off and sat down. The police were there at the entrance, and they said, you can't go wandering around this village in the middle of the night. Just stay here until morning, and we'll figure out what to do. And so the rest of the night, she preached Jesus Christ to them. And they were, by the morning came, they were so ready to get rid of her. They said, go over to that house. I think there's a pastor over there. <laughs> Met the pastor, and he said, hey, I'm coming here. I really want to help. And he says, well, the only Christians are me and my wife. And my wife just had a baby, so I guess there's three of us, you know, right now. And she said, what can I do? Can I stay? I really feel like God has called us here, called me here. He said, well, if you help my wife right now, yeah, you can stay with us because she's really weak and she needs some help. She said, okay. Well, the first morning comes up and the crazy guy of town comes up to them. And he's incoherent, yelling and screaming. And, and there's crazy guys in all these towns. They're probably demonic possessed. We know that. I'm not trying to make a quick judgment on it, but we know these kind of things. And what the people in town usually do is pick up rocks and throw it at them and drive them away. And that's what the pastor started to do, pick up a rock. And Maria said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let's just invite him in. And she had made some porridge, and so she invited him to sit down. He didn't talk at all. Came up. She prayed a blessing over the porridge. Lord, bless us and speak. Gave him that. He ate it. Got up, walked away. Next morning, he comes back in his right mind, speaking. He says, I don't know what happened, but can you explain this? I feel so dirty. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And Maria almost didn't even know what to do, but the pastor and her, he said, this is what it is. This is, and they led him to Christ they cast the demons out of him, the possessions, the oppression, the, the garbage that was there, and they prayed with him for him to find freedom. And he was rational. He was in his sane mind. Maria said, go and get your, all your clothes because he'd been sleeping out underneath a bridge. And Go get your clothes. Bring them in. I'm going to see if there's anything and clean it. All of the clothes are just garbage. They just, she just burned them all in a pile, went and bought another set of clothes for him to wear. The next day was Sunday. And they're going to have, a, they met underneath the tree, and they're going to preach and have a service. And so far, what was the church? Well, it was the pastor, his wife, a baby, and Maria. So we got pretty good growth here. Now we got the crazy guy, okay? So we got it. I don't know what kind of percentages you're real fast, but you have good church growth. Man, that would be statistically awesome from 4 to 5, 20%. And guess who shows up? Every single person in the village is coming out because the crazy guy is now sane. And they all come, and they're crowding and climbing and looking, you know, anything they can to hear what's going on. And and pastor said, Maria, why don't you share? Why don't you preach? Maria only knew Swahili, and this was really Rendili. And she says, is there anybody? Anybody could help me translate from Swahili to Rendili. And you know, there was one person who could do that. You just want to guess who that is. Yeah, the crazy guy. (laughs) So the crazy guy got saved, and the next day he's the church translator. So he got up there. They preached. Today, there is a church in that village. And literally, there used to be no, they were listed on this. There's an official website called the Joshua Project, and it talks about all the unreached people groups around the world and what percentages. There's no Christians in this group. And there are so many churches now among the Rendili that that organization had a phone call in, and they delisted them as an unreached group. There is 10% of the population or more is now serving Jesus Christ. God can do the impossible. Maria wanted to send one. After that place, she went up, came back, went back to Nairobi, and what felt like God had still not released her, and went again to another village farther north. She's always pushing north. And she's in this village. It was just her, and she was staying in this little place, hardly had any fruit, no people coming to Christ, and she heard a noise in the middle of the night. The people had already known her a little bit because she was kind, and they knew who she was. Everybody knows everybody in a village like that. 
And she went down there, and there was a little hut, and the elders were gathered outside. And they said, what, what's going on here? And they said, well, there's a witch inside, and she put a curse on a woman. And in the morning, the woman will probably die, and when she's died, we'll take the witch out and we'll kill her. And Maria says, whoa, 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 why don't you let me in there? No, Maria, we're not going to let you in there. This is a witch and a dying person, and don't get involved. Let me in. Well, if you go in, we're not going to let you out till morning. Okay. So she went in, saw the woman dying on the bed, and the, and the witch kind of crouched in the corner here. And she looked at the one, and she just got a, got a glass of water, and she prayed once again, and she walked over and gave the woman some water. And as the woman instantly, as she drank the water, instantly the woman sat up and was healed, divinely healed, immediately right there. And she sits up. Now, you're looking over here. You've got a picture of this, this dark, you know, you can, hardly any light in this thing, probably a little candle or something like that. It's all they had, just a little embers of light in there. And the witch's eyes are like this big at this point because her, everything just changed. Her life transformed and what is going on here? And Maria shared with the woman who was on that bed and with the witch what Jesus Christ had done. Jesus has healed you. It is the name of Jesus. It is not me. It's only Jesus that has healed you. And she walked both of them through the path of salvation. Both of them right there knelt in that hut, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, they start knocking on the door. And the elders outside go, what in the world? No, we're not letting you out, not letting you out. All of a sudden, they recognize the voice of the woman who was about to die on the other side of the door. And they open it up. And they stood out there. And Maria shared in front of all the elders of the church, of the village, what God had done. Explained to them the path of salvation. And I will tell you, there is a healthy, growing church in that village today. Because the one woman an old middle-aged woman, I'm calling her middle-aged, I shouldn't say old because I'm older than that. She went, because God called her, said, I will go and preach the gospel. And there's a church there today. Now I'm going to sh- end with a story that's more personal. We landed in Moldova. Um, we didn't know, that trafficking wasn't the issue of the day at that time, but my wife, wife ran into it, you know, right away. Almost two weeks in there, somebody... Uh, a Swedish woman met her and said, oh, you're a Christian. I always wanted to meet somebody from the church. What's the church going to do about trafficking? Okay, we, didn't, we had no idea what it was. You know, we didn't grow up with that. Uh, you know, I had, it was off our radar. But it started Nancy on the path. To, she researched, and we realized the greatest need at that time was a, re, a home, an aftercare home for girls who had been trafficked into prostitution. I'm just going to share one story of a girl named, I'll call her Amy, changed her name. Amy was sold by her mom, which is hard to believe. I mean, sold by her mom when she was probably 14 years old, maybe younger, 13. Ended up in Moscow. And Amy's very small. She's just this petite girl. Sold by her mom, was forced to beg on the streets, then prostituted, beaten, and raped. Um, You know, I don't watch any of those movies that talk about it because it's too real for me. You know, this is real stuff. And just the horrors. You just, you don't even want to go. There is no, the trafficking is at the edge of hell. I mean, there is, what, what these girls have gone through. They see friends that are killed. They've seen the worst. It's even beyond our imagination sometimes what they've gone through. But Amy ended up getting pregnant one time, and I don't know how it happened, but we found her back in Moldova, out of Moscow, Russia, back in Moldova. She was passed out drunk on a bus stop, a little one-year-old child next to her. And there was a little organization that said, hey, could you help us with her? We said, yes, we'll do it if we can bring both in. They didn't want to give us a child, but we said we have to keep the both of them together. So we brought her in, and Amy, she couldn't understand why her daughter loved the staff more than loved her. And we just said, it's because we love her. Oh, interesting. She didn't even understand love. Had no comprehension of love. It was like a dog that had been kicked too often. You know, just was always nervous of people. 
It took us a year before she accepted Christ. I'm telling you, when you work with such trauma, it is not a quick, there is no seven-week process and you're dancing out of there. It was a year before she accepted Christ. And when you accepted Christ, I saw life come back to her eyes. You know, you read, I've heard people say, oh, I wish I could have seen Lazarus come out of the tomb. Trust me, I have seen a resurrected life. I saw Amy's life get raised from the dead. The girl was dead, everything inside her. And God put something in. Another year later, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, joy came back to her face. And I saw smiles. And then uh, Nance and I went back. And it was about maybe six months after that. It was like the old Amy was back. Why is, why is everything, what's going on here? Her face is dark. And, well, she hadn't been sleeping. Every time she laid down, she'd hear these demonic voices. Why are you with those people? It's, it's not who you are. Leave this place. Suicidal thoughts. And she wasn't sleeping. So Nancy and I just sat with her and prayed. And we said, we, you know, we're just going to pray first of all. I feel like we need more time to pray, but we're going to pray tonight. And that night she had sleep, but we were dedicated to come back. He said, you need to be free. And we sat with her in a little room off to our side. And we said, Amy, this is the next morning. Amy, do you want to be free? Yes, I want to be free. And so Nancy and I prayed for about 15 minutes. No fireworks, no nothing like that. But at the end of the 15 minutes, we kind of paused. And Nancy looked at Amy and said, Amy, how are you feeling? Oh, Amy says, oh, it'll, it's fine now. And she's smiling at us. Why? Well, why is that? Well, when you were praying, I opened my eyes and Jesus spoke to me. Oh, okay, Amy, what, what, what did he say? And this is what he quoted. Now, Amy has been, probably has fetal alcohol, has beaten and memory issues, and she can never remember how to say things right. She'll speak to me in Romanian and Nancy in Russian versus, I mean, she'll just go back and forth. But she looked at Nancy and said, here's what Jesus said. Amy, do not be afraid, do not fear. The demon is gone, do not be afraid. And Nancy went, oh, okay, let's get, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to say this all over again. She repeated it word for word again. We got a staff to come in because we wanted to write it in her Bible, exactly. The third time she came in and quoted the exact same thing. And I just want you to know that Amy is doing so well today. But I, my picture is when I come up, we were back in Moldova last year, and we went to the restaurant the girls were meeting us at the restaurant and we went there and Amy comes running up her one-year-old now is about six or seven years old little Veronica Veronica is so smart but Amy comes running up and her and her daughter hug me and hug me and hug me and at that point in life I will say I am the richest man in the world it cost me blood sweat and tears it cost me money it cost me hair I could not afford to lose I mean I literally this is not your easiest thing in the world But when you hold a miracle in your arms, it is worth it all. And I say that because that's what missions is about. We talk, everyone, I'm going to challenge you in every different way. In missions, I want to challenge you to pray. I said it even in that video. Let's pray for this world. When you hear about North Korea, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. When you hear about Mozambique, let's pray. When you hear about terrorism in, in Europe, let's pray. I was in Wales recently. Man, that, that area needs prayer. The the move of God most people have no idea who Jesus Christ is Europe is so secular and we say Lord let's pray for something to happen I need every one of you to pray I need every one of you to give and to sacrifice financially your your pastor said it easily we tithe that's that's one part of it we give freely it is a joy to give the Lord but we need your help to make missions go around this world we need it financially I look at it all the time and we invest funds financially if it's me, I'm working on a church project in Moldova, the, the church where the girls call home. We're trying to finish the building. And, and sometimes it takes one person $5 and another person can give 50000 It doesn't matter. Jesus just says, use what I've given you to build my church. 
I want to challenge you also to come or to send. I'm praying out of this place, out of this room, there's somebody that God is speaking to about being called into missions. Can I speak very directly to you grandparents and you parents? If your child or your grandchild says, God is speaking to me about missions, don't pull them back. Release them. It's harder to send your kids than it is for you to go yourself. But I hear it over and over again. I would love to go into missions, but my parents don't want me to go. Oh, no, why don't you get a good job? Why don't you be a doctor? Why don't you be an engineer? Instead, let us be a church that blesses our children and our grandkids. Maybe the Lord is speaking, about, speaking to you. You could be 50 years old. You could be 15. I don't know, but if the Lord is speaking to you, I want you to be able to say, yes, God, I will go and do whatever you have called me to do. We need all of us. I've been in Mozambique recently, and university students are coming to God, and it's amazing. But there are seven African nations that are begging for somebody to help them reach the universities. And these kids come out, and they've been so demonically possessed, and it's great to see the freedom that's on their faces. I've been in Laos just recently, and the missionary there said, the number one thing we need, it's not money, it's workers. Pray the Lord will send workers to the harvest. And I say it over and over and over again. Wales or Germany or Russia. Lord, give us workers to go. So I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you about. But I want to challenge you. There's an old preacher saying, it says, we're called to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Okay, that's what my responsibility is. Comfort the afflicted. I want to say this really directly and I need to close. Some of you, maybe your hearts are stirred even with Amy's story because you have gone through some of that past. Maybe it's not exactly, but you've been broken, you've been abused, you've been traumatized in life. And you say, God could never use me because of this in my past. And I say, we are new people when we come to Christ. And the Lord wants to put his spirit upon you and wants to anoint you for the task that is ahead. Never let the devil hold you back by your past. The Lord will make you into a new creation. The other ones, I want to afflict some of the comfortable ones. We're so easy. We sit in the pew. We go, oh, yeah, that's great. Let me, let me give my $20. And we never want to ask the Lord, Lord, is that enough zeros? <laughs> or do you want me to give more? Do you want me to go? Do you want me to send my children? I want to make you a little uncomfortable. The Lord is begging. I entreat you. We need every one of you to be involved in missions. Some way, some form and fashion. I need all of you to be praying. Boy, I'm praying. We need all of you to be giving. And please give and, and give sacrificially. I'm not asking for something I don't do. I support a half dozen missionaries ourselves. And we need some of you to come and go. Come with us and go and, and serve Jesus Christ. Let me just take a moment here and pray for you. Would you just bow your heads? We're going to close in a song here in a little bit, that no other name. But I just want, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying here very directly, to many of you. Um, and I don't exactly know because it's always not always my words, but the Holy Spirit does amazing things. He speaks beyond what we say. And I feel like maybe there's some people in here that are very broken, that have had a very hard past, and the devil has been telling you you cannot. And I just want heads bowed and eyes closed. This is just between you and the Lord, and I just want to be praying for you. If, that, if you're hearing the lies of the enemy and your past is holding you back, 
and you know what's there, and you know the brokenness that's back there, and you say, I am not worthy. I just want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me. And I'm going to be asking for God to break those chains of your past, to give you freedom, to see yourself as Jesus sees it. Thank you, thank you, thanks, 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 thanks. And I just want to declare in the name of Jesus, you are a son and a daughter of God. You are esteemed of him. And the Lord wants to pour your, his anointing upon you. He wants to pour his spirit into you. And God wants to use you. The second question I'm going to ask is maybe some of you say, the Lord's been stirring me and I need to get uncomfortable. And I just want to raise my hand to say, God, make me uncomfortable. If I will go, I will go. If he calls me to give more than I have ever given, I'll do it. But Lord, I'm going I'm to be praying like I've never prayed. But Lord, I want to be uncomfortable as you speak to me. And I've not been hearing you as I should. If that's you, just hold up your hand. Okay, thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. There's a lot of us. I want you to stand to your feet. If the congregation could just stand. Um, I've asked them if they could sing that one song about the name of names. You know, I loved it. Can I pray once over you, though, for a spirit of courage? Then I want us to end with this one song about the name of Jesus. And here's why I picked this song. I want you, as we sing this song, I want you to picture a country somewhere in the world. I want, maybe it's Laos, maybe it's Mozambique, maybe it's Congo, maybe it's Wales or England or Scotland, maybe it's the Netherlands or Japan or China. And you know the name of Jesus is not known there. I want us to make this almost a prayer. We say, Lord, I want the name of Jesus to be lifted up over China. I want the name of Jesus to be lifted up over those demonic voices because the names that are lifted up there are Buddha and Allah and money and me. And God wants to break that. And so, Lord, I pray right now upon this congregation that there may be a spirit of courage that comes upon it. Lord, that we will be, in, we will be engaged in missions and the task that is ahead. Lord, even as we sing the name of names and Jesus' name, it will be resonate within our hearts that, Lord, we are submitting to that. Lord, I pray for a spirit of courage to step out where you have called us, that we'll step into the road where you are leading us. And, God, we want to say yes. Lord, we are, we are yours. Everything within us. Empower us now for the task to reach our neighborhoods and around this world. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Let's sing this song in a, in a sense of prayer. Amen.